Cal, and welcome to The Podluck, serving up bite-sized tastes of the best theology. I'm your host, Megan Westra. Grab a plate, and let's dig in. This is The Podluck, and I'm your host, Megan Westra. We are here week two, episode two of our first season, answering the question, what does it mean to be saved? So we're going to jump in in just a couple minutes to our guest for this week and find out what they're dishing up. But first, just a couple of announcements. So later this week, I will be at the Liberating Evangelicalism Conference in Chicago, Illinois. So if you are there, um, please say hey. Um, I would love to see you. Um, And then a review. We are up to 20 ratings in Apple Podcasts. Um, and seven written reviews, so keep those coming in. It would be super awesome to be at 15 reviews by next week when the next episode goes live. But for today, um, from Johnny BCU 33 uh, he writes, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and what I appreciate about this one is the length. Sometimes you just need a short episode to listen to at the end of the day or when you're running an errand. The podluck fits the bill perfectly. I also consider myself a theology nerd, and there were still quite a few concepts Megan introduces that I'd never heard of before. So this show is both for the people new to theology and for those of us who've been studying it for our whole lives. I can't recommend it enough. Subscribe. Hey, so thanks, Johnny BCU 33 and I agree. You should subscribe and leave a rating and a review. All right, so for today... My guest today is Porter Taylor, the Reverend Porter Taylor. Uh, He is a PhD student at the University of Aberdeen, where he is writing his dissertation on liturgical theology. Uh, Porter is a priest in the Anglican Diocese of Pittsburgh and serves in Kansas City as theologian in residence at his church. Um, Porter is also the editor of a compilation of essays called We Give Our Thanks Unto the Essays in Memory of Father Alexander Schmemann. Um, I met Porter on Twitter, where all good theologians meet, um, and also discovered that he went to college with my husband in undergrad. Um, So it's all kinds of six degrees of separation. Uh, The other thing that you should know about Porter, the very prestigious information in his bio, is that he's currently beating my husband in fantasy football for the first time ever. So that's probably the most important thing you could know about him. But this week, Porter is dishing it up with us here on the Podluck, talking about what it means to be saved. So grab a plate and let's dig in. Yeah, I've been wrestling with this um, since I got the email invitation, and honestly, um, I've been in a million different directions with this, trying to figure out what do I think it means, and it wasn't until yesterday that the muses kind of gave me the answer that made sense to me from the very beginning, and I want to do it in the form of a story. Because honestly, I think that what it means to be saved is 100% tied to 
the story of the world, of who we are as humans and who God is as God. Um, I don't think it makes sense apart from that. And so my, my approach to this, instead of being liturgical, uh, which probably would have been the obvious choice, is more narratival instead. Um, and so I look back all the way to creation, and I see God creating the whole cosmos, the world, humans, man and woman, in his image, um, and then giving them dominion over all things, stewardship, to direct the praise and worship of creation back to creator, uh, to make sure that everything flourishes and exists the way that God intended and designed. Uh, but then we got ourselves into trouble. Obviously, we all know the story. Uh, sin enters the world, or the equation, if you will. And after that conversation with Adam and Eve and we have the different curses and what have you. What does God do? Well, obviously he clothes them, but then he ushers them out of the garden, not really as much as a punishment, as much as a form of saving them from themselves. Because having eaten from the tree, what would then happen if they ate from the tree of life? What would then happen if they experienced what that looked like. So they're expelled from the garden and it's God saving them in a way. And then the story continues throughout Genesis with humans doing the same thing over and over again. It's not but a chapter and we have Cain and Abel and we have the first murder and then God comes and says, sin is crouching at your door. You must overcome it. It wants to master you, but we don't overcome it. Sin continues to move throughout the world, to move throughout our hearts, to course through our very behaviors and attitudes. And then we have everything from the flood coming and God saying, but I'm going to save Noah and his family. I'm going to covenant with them. And I'm going to put my bow in the sky so that this doesn't happen again as a sign of my promise and faithfulness to them. We have the Tower of Babel, and that's destroyed. Again, humans being saved from themselves. We are saved from our own waywardness. Uh, and it goes on throughout Genesis um, until we have, you know, we have God calling this man out of this land, saying, I'm going to give you a land and a people, a promise. You're going to be more numerous. You have all these things, and God is continually stepping protecting his people, protecting his promise, making himself known as faithful. I mean, it, the, the vision of Abraham and God with the, the, two, the two lines of animals uh, there, God is the one who passes through both sides. God is the one who says, I will keep covenant. And as we go throughout the rest of Genesis and we move into Exodus, that is the overriding narrative. This, this God, Yahweh, who created all things, has chosen for himself a people, has acted on their behalf, and has given them a promise that this will come to fruition, and I will make it so. And so even though we end up with Israel being um, oppressed and under occupation in Egypt, 
we have them crying out to God for what? For deliverance. Save us. And God calls Moses and says, I have heard my people's cry. I'm going to release them out of this situation so that they might worship me in the desert. And so he intervenes on their behalf, brings them out of Egypt, delivers them, saves them from that situation, and then gives them law, gives them Torah to say, now this is what it looks like to live in covenant relationship with me. You are a people already redeemed, already saved, and here is what it means to live in this space, in this relationship. And so then we have the 40 years wandering and grumbling and complaining, and then we get to Joshua. Joshua leads him into the promised land, and then almost all of the, as fast as it started, we have the judges, because Israel's saying, oh, but we're going to complain. We don't like this. What, why not Egypt? Where's the meat that we used to have? Why can't we go back to Egypt? And so let us, we're going to start sinning. We're going to reject covenant with God. We're going to do things on our own. And Yahweh says, okay, this is what's going to happen. So they sin. They fall under some sort of oppression or they're taken over or attacked by somebody. Things get bad for them. They realize, oh, wait, we remember we have this covenant relationship with Yahweh. We're going to cry out to him. So we cry out to him, save us. And he hears them. He provides a judge or a leader to come in to take care of them. Order or balance is reestablished. And then it's just wash, rinse, and repeat because we do the same thing over and over and over again. And then Israel thinks, oh, you know what? This is what we're going to do. We want a king like the rest of the nations. Because even though we have this relationship with God, even though we have this unique relationship with Yahweh, we want a king like the rest of the nations. And Yahweh says, okay, so be it. And so then we have the kings coming in. And yeah, some are good. But most are really, really bad. And some are kind of bad, kind of good. And for a few generations, we have these kingdoms, or these kings coming in, sinning. Israel gets split into half. They're taken over. And we go on and on through one foreign oppressor after another until we hit this kind of moment, this moment when this itinerant rabbi comes and he picks up the scroll at the synagogue and he reads, proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor, that it's sight for the blind and freedom for the oppressed. And in your hearing, this has been fulfilled we didn't get there by accident. Jesus reading this passage from Isaiah in Luke isn't an accident. It's not even a coincidence. This is the beginning of the climax of the story. We've been working here literally from the time that God created man and woman on through. We've been working with a covenantal relationship in which Yahweh keeps covenant Humanity does not, and Yahweh continues time and time again to deliver his people, either from themselves and their own sinful desires and waywardness, or from foreign oppressors, or from fill-in-the-blank, their own idolatry. He's constantly coming in 
in saving them from something. But that's always and only one part of the equation being saved from something because it's always being saved for something. Salvation just to kind of get your fire insurance or get your ticket punched so you can get into heaven is nothing. The, the call each and every time is, I am your God, you are my people. This is what it looks like to live in relationship with me. It's to worship me in the desert. It's to spread the news of my glory to the ends of the earth so that all of creation might come into this relationship. And so salvation now takes on not this particular aspect, but this universal thing where we are just called to go give it all away to everybody else, to invite other people into this, because that was always the design. That was always the intention for God's creation to flourish as creation, as an entirety, to his glory. And so as we talk about, you know, what does it mean to be saved as a Christian? What does it mean to, you know, uh, believe that Jesus is the foundation of your salvation? Well, it, it means a whole lot more than inviting Jesus into your heart. It, it means living in God's kingdom as one of his citizens according to his design and holy purpose. It, it involves this attitude on our part, of humility, realizing that we are simply one beggar who's found the bread and we're telling the rest of the beggars where we found it. It's going to, it could be the ends of the earth, but it could also just be the end of your neighborhood or the end of your city or to your next door neighbor or to your family member or to those Trump supporters over there or to those labor supporters over there and extending both friendship and hospitality, but also inviting them into something so much bigger and so much greater. And the story, to borrow from N.T. Wright, the story is still ongoing. It hasn't ended. The climax of the story may have taken place with the incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. But now we're living in that kind of fifth act where we are invited as participants, as actors on the stage, to continue the work until it comes to its absolute and ultimate conclusion. When God is on all, when there are no more tears or crying, there's no more pain or suffering, there's no more death, when we are living with God, when we're no longer seeing through the veil or through the glass dimly lit, but we are seeing and living with God as he intended from the beginning. And until we get to that point, until God brings this story to that point, our only responsibility as the follower, as followers of Christ, our only responsibility is to live according to the way that he did to extend the year of his favor, to go to those who are around us proclaiming sight for the blind and hearing for the deaf and speaking for the mute, healing for the sick, freedom for the oppressed. It means fighting in the, in the here and now against uh, 
those things that we see everywhere, the systemic injustice, the, the racism, the sexism, the ageism, the things that hold people in bondage and oppressed in this moment, in this time, we speak out and fight out against those actively because we are trying to come alongside what God is already doing as co-participants, as stewards, as priests of creation, as co-regents, because it's almost as if the design from the beginning in the garden is still the same design now as it will be at the end of times. Because what is it really all about other than living with God, living with the Trinity in their self-emptying love? That's what it means to, to me, at least, as I talk about being saved with people. Yeah, there's this personal aspect to it. Yes, I would love to talk about how you know Christ is living in your heart and you are simply just on fire for the Lord. I'd love to talk about that. But we got to move beyond that at some point to the larger picture, to the universal, to the fact that things are not right in this world. This isn't our, our island home. This isn't just our little stopping place on the way to, to heaven or something. This is what God has given us, what he's put in front of us for us to work and labor together in his kingdom to his glory so that everybody, not just white people, not just men, not just Republicans, not just fill in the blank, people who don't have tattoos or people who beat me in fantasy football or something, but that everybody, everybody's invited to have a seat at that eschatological banquet table. Because at that point, that salvation, that's a return to what God had in store from the very beginning. That is an embrace of what he has been doing since before the foundations of the world. And we're going to be celebrating on into eternity. I hate that word because it freaks me out. But I think that that's where we need to, to ground our conversation and if we can't see it through the lens of this rich and dynamic and very real ongoing story in human history, then it's never going to make sense. It's, just, it's going to become this weird, esoteric, nebulous, vague sort of thing. And maybe one day we'll be able to sit on clouds and play harps and kind of have our little blessed assurance um, instead of laboring in the here and now for what God is doing. Um, I see that playing out in a lot of ways as well. Um, moving from the narrative to the more liturgical, I see, um, I see liturgy, at least good liturgy, being full of expressions of what it means to be saved, what it means to worship God and live as his people. Um, if you look at liturgy, particularly a Sunday liturgy where we're celebrating communion, it is always and only an invitation into an ongoing conversation. It is always participation in the work of Jesus. It is always an invitation to be a people of prayer, of people who confess their sins a people who invite others to the banquet, a people of praise who sing and lament and confess and complain and argue and have all the feels before God. 
And when we're saved, we're not saved to do nothing. We're not saved just to make sure that, you know what, if this whole world goes to hell in a handbasket, at least I'll be okay. No, we're saying this is a restoration of that right relationship which Adam and Eve experience in the garden and which is going to take place in this holy city when there's a new heavens and a new earth. And we don't have to wait for it. We get to do it now, catching glimpses, inviting others into it. So when I think about being saved, that's what I think about. I think about something far bigger than ourselves, far bigger than America, far bigger than party politics or skin color. We need to be saved from that as much as anything else. And the only one who can do that is God. Only God can save us from our own exclusivity and our own tendency to create situations where there's an us versus them. Because even when we were the us versus God, as Paul says, paraphrasing, but as Paul says, even if it was us versus God, God still loved us. God still pursued us. God still kept covenant even when we couldn't or wouldn't. has been The Podluck. Thank you so much for tuning in. To make sure that you never miss an episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. To help other people find the podcast, leave a rating or write a quick review as this helps us be more visible to other people. To support The Podluck, please visit our Patreon page. For as little as a dollar a month, you get access to a Slack channel to discuss this and other episodes with people who are wrestling with these ideas as well. Join the conversation on social media by using at Podluck Podcast on Twitter or at the Podluck Podcast on Instagram. As always, I'm your host, Megan Westrup. Thanks for tuning in to the Podluck. Grab a plate next time and we'll dig in again.